If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I did not see that coming. There's nothing funnier than Third Reich puns. That, I think, was my, is my favorite episode title, and you came up with that. that you are so sweet The last me. episode, they did not see that coming yeah we actually there was a fun conversation on the freaks group not long ago about like what is your favorite of the box of oddities episode titles uh gang banged by fire ants came up a lot yeah that's one of my favorites it's a good one that's um, one of my favorites and too some, someone had tweeted um not long ago uh, every other podcast needs to step up their game because Box of Oddities has the best episode titles. <laughs> and I just have to say, I you know, I don't know about that because not long ago, Jordan Harbinger had a episode titled A Glimpse Behind the Murder Curtain. Oh, that's great. And I just think that's delightful. Jordan Harbinger is uh, he's got one of the best podcasts. We we talk about him quite a bit because, well, I think I'm in love with him a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. That's yeah. fine. Um, no, he uh, his show, the Jordan Harbinger show, is uh, it's really an amazingly well done show. He's such a good interviewer. Yeah, it's he speaks about things with experts as though he is also an expert, and that is a skill. I do not have. <laughs> like, if I was talking to a rocket scientist, I would be like, so, rockets, huh? Yeah, how about them rockets? <laughs> right? <laughs> they go up. Anyway, uh, he's impressive. That's yeah, all I guess yeah. I've got to say. All right. And uh, what is your all-time favorite episode title? Go. Mine, um, I think for me, it'd be a toss-up between um, episode 269, Pants Butter, <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. In episode 226, The Dishwasher is Not a Urinal, because that one has special uh, meaning to me. Because I had a friend once. He stayed at my house one summer. One night, he had a little bit too much to drink. And he got up, and it wasn't the dishwasher. It was the end table beside the bed. Uh He just stood up, dropped his pants, and peed all over the end table, and then tried to flush the handle on the the drawer. Oh, no. Yeah, so it just brings back good memories. Sure, I bet. I bet. So we're only a few weeks away from Bicycle Day. 
Right. Yeah. Um, Did you get all your bicycle day shopping done? Uh, April 19th is bicycle day. Is it? Yes. We're going to talk about bicycle day. <laughs> the original bicycle day took place April 19th, 1943. That is the day that the very first dose of synthesized LSD was taken intentionally. And it's called Bicycle Day? Yes. I'm very confused. You'll find out. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how those two things could be connected <laughs> and all I can think of is like I'm riding on two wheels, bro. Albert Hoffman began synthesizing ergot compounds in 1938. Of course, ergot is a type of fungus, and he was synthesizing it into lysergic acid. And then what he'd do is mix it with other active ingredients. What he was trying to do was come up with a substance that would help to stimulate the respiratory and cir circulatory system and ultimately help treat hemorrhaging. It wasn't until his 25th such attempt <laughs> that he combined lysergic acid with diethylene, and that's when things started to get really interesting for Mr. Hoffman. He referred to it as intriguing results. <laughs> Did now, he try it out? Not on purpose. Oh, no. Uh, now, again, he was looking for a treatment to help deal with hemorrhaging, but the testing that he was doing just wasn't getting any results. And so the pharmaceutical company that was sponsoring this uh, decided the drug was useless. And at this point, it was disregarded. Hoffman just put it on a shelf and forgot about it for a while. This was in 1938. Five years later, in 1943, he felt this overwhelming urge to return to his research with uh, lysergic acid. Now, again, he abandoned it five years prior, but he was compelled for some reason, he said, to research it a bit further. So on April 16th, 1943, he began experimenting again. That day, Hoffman accidentally dosed himself. Oh, no. Now, there are some conflicting stories as to how that happened, but it's thought that he got some on his fingers and perhaps it was absorbed through the skin or that he maybe licked his fingers, which is a really bad habit to have if you're working in a laboratory. Right. But what if he had Doritos recently That's or something? True. What yep. are you going to do? What yep. do you, I mean... You have no choice. Exactly. So regardless of how it got in his system, it got in his system. And it wasn't long before he started to feel a little bit funny. Hoffman wrote, quote, I was forced to interrupt my work at the laboratory in the middle of the afternoon and proceed home, being affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness. At home, I lay down and fell into a not unpleasant intoxicated-like condition characterized by extremely stimulated imagination in a dreamlike state with my eyes closed because I found that daylight to be unpleasantly glaring, mm -hmm. I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes, and an intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. So he's lying on his bed, and he's, he's just tripping balls. And um, he starts thinking to himself, well, that was interesting. And so three days later, on April 19th, 1943, Hoffman decided to become a human guinea pig. He would be his own test subject. What a brave soul. Yeah. I'm going to try these drugs some more. <laughs> he was determined to discover their true and full effects. <laughs> now, he wasn't sure what the proper dosage should be because nobody had done this before right. that, uh, that he knew of. Obviously, he's the one that synthesized this, so chances are he was the only one to ever do it. So he struggled over how much to give himself. 
Going back to what he knew about ergot, um, he figured that based on the absorbing properties of ergot, that a normal dose would be about 250 micrograms. So he took 250 micrograms and diluted that in water and then ingested it. Oh, that was a mistake. Too much? Way too much. Oh, no. The experience that he'd had three days prior, the accidental dosage, uh, he felt somewhat euphoric sure. during that experience. But with this specific dosage, he didn't know what to expect. And it was quite unpleasant. He started noticing visual transitions less than an hour after ingesting the LSD. He said things looked distorted. His feelings were mixed with a slight anxiety. And he also had this uncontrollable urge to laugh. I have a quick question. Like, what was his process though i mean he would ingest the, the dose mm-hmm. and then what just hang out yeah. in the lab yeah that's yeah you shouldn't hang out in the no, lab you need to be in nature oh it, it, i was thinking like a padded room well, or that, some yeah. you know a nice cozy couch some place where you feel safe hoffman decided very quickly that it probably wouldn't be a good idea for him to drive home mm-hmm. so he has asked his lab assistant to help now this is where, where it gets really weird his lab assistant did not have a car but he did have a couple of bicycles oh so he and hoffman got on their bikes and began to ride to hoffman's house so so here he is. He, nobody's ever done acid intentionally yeah. before, especially the dosage that he gave himself. He's riding along on the bike. And as he's doing this, the experience is becoming more and more intense. At this point, he developed full-on anxiety, paranoia, and he was afraid that perhaps he was going insane. But more than anything, he was afraid that he'd poisoned himself. And that's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. Especially since ergot is deadly poisonous in its natural state. Right. Also, he should be concerned about his his middle bits. Sometimes riding a bike can be very uncomfortable, especially if you're not focused on protecting your parts. Sure. I've just had some bad bike riding incidents. That's all I'm saying. All right. And there was no acid involved in that. So, yeah, I can imagine. So there he is. He's tripping his nuts off on his bicycle, having no idea, no frame of reference. He quoted in his book, which is called LSD, My Problem Child, Mm. everything in my field of vision wavered and was distorted as if in a curved mirror. I also had the sensation of being unable to move from the spot. Nevertheless, nevertheless, My assistant later informed me that we actually had traveled at quite a rapid speed. (laughs) He he didn't know he was moving. So finally, uh, he gets to the house and he calls a doctor friend of his to come over to make sure he wasn't dying dying or poisoning himself. The doctor found no lethal signs and no physical abnormalities except for extremely dilated pupils. So at this point... Once the doctor tells Hoffman, no, you you, you seem fine, Hoffman began to relax. Once they learned that uh, he was not in danger, he said he felt a shift in the experience. I'm sure. And his consciousness. Again from his book, quote, The horror softened and gave way to a feeling of good fortune and gratitude. Now, little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Now, I think this makes perfect sense because he's experimenting with it 
and there is a, a huge unknown. Oh, yeah. So of course there's anxiety. Of course there's that internal turmoil. You know, and when it took a doctor to say, no, no, you're just fine, for him to go like, oh, okay, I can just happy trip now, which <laughs> makes perfect sense. Sure. Like that's why, like I don't drink unless I'm in a good mood. Because yeah. whatever I'm drinking will exacerbate the mood I'm already in, which is why I am a happy as fuck drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy that about you, too. <laughs> so he's lying there in his house. Kaleidoscopic, fantastical images are surging around his head. And he knew that he had he had uh, stumbled upon oh, sure. something yeah. highly unusual. The book that he wrote about his experience and where I'm getting these quotes from is called LSD, My Problem Child, Reflections on Sacred, Dr- Sacred Drugs, Mysticism, and Science. Intentionally or not, his work impacted the world in ways that he had no idea sure. that it would, especially by the time the 1960s rolled around. You've got Aldous Huxley, who's, uh, he's tripping. Uh, you've got uh, Timothy Leary, who's actively promoting it. Albert Hoffman lived until 2008, when he died at the age of 102. Wow. But the very first intentional LSD trip happened on April 19th, 1943. It's still thought of and looked at today as Bicycle Day. There are hallucinogenic enthusiasts who celebrate this day. It's like 420. It's like 420, but it's, it's, a, it's an annual thing. But as far as the LSD itself goes, Hoffman put it this way. I did not choose LSD. LSD found and called me. Oh, yeah. That sounds like something that someone who had been on LSD would say. Yep. Again, his book is called Problem Child, Reflections on Sacred Drugs, Mysticism, and Science. Another wow. good, If this type of thing interests you, another uh, good book, a classic, a psychedelic book, mm. is The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. Oh, yeah. And that's where Jim Morrison got the name for his band. I can't remember the name of the band now, though. <laughs> the Huxleys, I think. Now, that's super interesting. And it, I love uh, hearing that kind of experience and and such because, I, like, I mean, you know, like I've never partaken mm-hmm. in that kind of right. experience, um, mostly because I'm a little bit of a control freak. And I like knowing, you know, where what I'm doing and, you know, all sure, that. Sure, sure. But that doesn't mean that I am opposed to it. But I think that we should wait until we're like super elderly and <laughs> like, just get... Just be in the high home. as balls, yeah. like super old. <laughs> be like, I don't even feel my knees anymore. Well, here comes acid granny. <laughs> and now, that thing in the middle. In 1883, Henry Ziegland broke up with his girlfriend, who then took her own life. The girl's brother tracked down Ziegland and shot him before committing suicide. Luckily, Ziegland survived, since the bullet only grazed his head and lodged in a nearby tree. Years later, Ziegland decided to get rid of the tree, so he blew it up with dynamite. The explosion propelled the bullet into Ziegland's skull, killing him instantly. We don't know how many other podcasts William Shatner listens to, but come on. William fucking Shatner listens to us. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. This is the box of oddities. 
This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com oddities. That's greenlight.com oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura Frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. 
Carrie Clark posted on our Freaks group on Facebook, Okay, Freaks, I need to hear your most embarrassing stories, especially work stories. <laughs> uh, they went on to say they had a six-minute call with their director and didn't realize it was a video call. So <laughs> the director had a full-screen view of my ear hole and unwashed work-from-home hair the whole time. <laughs> so... <laughs> So some of the responses are absolutely amazing, and I wanted to share this one with you. <clears throat> Shannon writes, my grandfather, <laughs> sorry, I'm already chuckling. My grandparents used to give the worst presents at Christmas. I mean, they gave my mom the same food chopper four years in a row. They gave me an antique tea set that was already mine. <laughs> they were just storing it at their house because we moved a lot. So we always called our Christmas get-together shit Christmas. So about a month before Christmas, my mom calls me to tell me the date and time. I open my phone up and I put it in my calendar so I don't forget. About two weeks later, the band teacher from my school texts me at 3 a.m. asking, did you put an event on the school calendar called Shit Christmas? <laughs> I almost died. This calendar is public. It's on our school website. It turns out my default calendar on my phone was actually my school calendar oh, and not my no. personal one totally could have gotten fired for that one. Oh my god <laughs> shit christmas i would have just abbreviated that to shit miss though <laughs> yeah that's a real missed opportunity right you can use a bigger font and it'll still fit in the calendar space i don't think i have any real real good embarrassing work stories i did um i had there were two different instances when i worked in radio um that i was at live remotes and two People, unprompted, with no request by me, gave me advice on how to treat my acne, <laughs> which I thought oh. was oh. weird. Wow. Yeah. Radio station remotes are the worst. The worst. The worst. Remember the one we did? Uh, it was at a... And for those of you not in the business, a radio remote, it's, it's what it sounds like. You do a remote broadcast from a particular business location. We did one from a funeral home. Yeah, they were that was having amazing. A, a big barbecue at the funeral home, mm, which immediately to celebrate that they got a new cremation system. <laughs> yeah, that seemed a little suspicious to a me, little, but a little too on point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, the funeral director of this funeral mm -hmm. home was a rather young. He's a younger guy. He had a few too many uh, Keystone lights, I think. <laughs> and at one point, he he was trying to get people to come in and join us. He took his shirt off. And he was like waving it around his head to motion traffic into the funeral home parking lot. Yeah, that was that was interesting. It was, uh, yep, that was one of those that I, the moment the remote was over, I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. So what do you got for me? All right, today I want to tell you about Hans Island. It's an uninhabited island measuring about 0.5 square miles. And Hans Island is the smallest of three islands in the Kennedy Channel off of the Washington land coast. Uh, there are actually a small group of islands there. And this waterway, it separates the northernmost land of Canada, which is Ellesmere Island, and Greenland, which is an autonomous Denmark territory. So this spot where this island is, is in the middle of this strait. And I do mean the middle. So it's like 22 miles across. And the island's right smack dab in the midst. 
So it's within the territorial waters of both Canada and Greenland. Uh, a theoretical line down the middle of the island would be like straight through. So that's an official international border? No, no. It's just where if you were to put okay. like 11 miles across, right down the middle of the island. The island is named after Hans Hendrik, and the first written reference of that name and the island itself appears in the Charles Henry Davis book, Narrative of the North Polar Expedition, 1876, which I think you might like. You know me, I love a Victorian era Arctic expedition that ends in cannibalism. It is a narrative of Hall's third North Pole expedition. Okay. Uh, the island itself possesses no apparent natural resources. It's kind of a barren, uninhabited rock type situation uh, with no known reserves of oil or natural gas. Um, some birds oh, hang out there nice. for shoresies, but uh, that's about it. Well, in 1880, Hans Island got lost in the shuffle of the British transferring remaining Arctic territories to Canada. And due to the use of predominantly outdated 16th century maps, the small island wasn't included in the transfer and as such wasn't even recognized until decades later. So in 1933... Greenland was declared a, the rightful owner of Hans Island okay. by the Permanent Court of International Justice. Unfortunately, and ironically, the Permanent Court of International Justice dissolved within a few years. And it was replaced by the UN. And the ownership resolution decided upon by the Permanent Court of International Justice was deemed no longer valid. So Hans Island, once again, not belonging to anyone, just hanging out in the middle of the strait, unowned, unloved, unoccupied. According to Business Insider, uh, both World War II and the Cold War took precedence over more trivial conversations like who owns Hans Island. <laughs> And even after a maritime border negotiation in the 19 early in the 1970s, the territory still sat on the back burner. In 1972, a team consisting of personnel from the Canadian Hydrographic Surface and Danish personnel working in the Nares Strait determined the geographic coordinates for Hans Island. And during negotiations between Canada and Denmark on their maritime boundaries in 1973, both places claimed Hans Island was part of their territory. And no agreement was reached. And this basically is just worthless scrubland. Well, there's not a lot going on, no. Yeah. No. And it, like I said, it's very small. It's, it's a small... 0.5 square mile rock. Not worth going to war for. Well, I don't think I don't think that was on the docket. Mm, good. But in 1984, when during a visit to the island, the Danish minister for Greenland decided he was going to leave a national flag. So he put on Hans Island a Danish flag and a note that said, "Welcome to Danish Island," and left a bottle of brandy. Well, that's thoughtful. Well. Not long later, Canadian troops visited the island and they saw the situation. Uh-oh. And so, in ultimate Canadian fashion, they decided, sirs, I think you've misunderstood what's going on here. <laughs> they put up their flag and left a bottle of Canadian club whiskey. Nice. Did they drink the brandy? 
Did the other guy left? I'm not sure exactly how that situation okay. went down. I think that probably by now that bottle of brandy should be in a museum because this went on for some time. No. Greenland would stop by, steal, <laughs> steal the whiskey, <laughs> leave a bottle of booze. Now, at some point, the story switches from brandy to schnapps, so I'm not exactly sure uh, what went on there. It's like stealing a rival team's mascot. It's kind of exactly like that. It's like Greg Brady stealing that goat. What? You're too young. Anyway, this went back and forth for some time. It was the most polite war ever. <laughs> they, they, It's referred to as the Whiskey War. Ah, the booze battle. <laughs> Peter Toxo Jensen, the Danish ambassador to the U.S., has said that when Danish military go there, they leave a bottle of schnapps. And when Canadian military forces come in, they leave a bottle of Canadian club and a sign saying, welcome to Canada. Mm -hmm. I like this. <laughs> well, to some, according to Arctic Today, to some in Canada and Greenland, much of the ice, land, water, and so on and so forth, shouldn't even be considered something that the governments can claim. And the people who support this um, cite that it's ancestral land inhabited by Inuit for millennia without much attention being paid to the legal title of who owns it. And since That's really, true. You know, That's well, true. Uh, currently, a plan is in the works that could turn Hans Island into a shared territory. So since the the <laughs> marker kind of imaginarily, is that a word, goes right down the middle, Greenland would have this side and Canada would have this side and maybe they could, you know, each put their flags in the middle of their own half or something like that. Wow. I mean, you could legit see the other person's flag from your flag, but whatever. But... With that plan, it would be jointly managed by both Canadian and Danish municipalities bordering it. And in 2015, a suggestion was indeed made to hand over power of Hans Island to the Inuit people, not by the Inuit themselves, but by two prominent Arctic experts, uh, Professor Michael Byers from the University of British Columbia and the Associate Professor Michael Bose from a university in Denmark. So there's there are proponents both from Canada and from Denmark saying, why don't we just, you know, say it belongs to the Inuit people? We, uh, thanks for thinking of us guys. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, we live here. Either way, as of right now, there is no consensus on who owns Hans Island. Still. And I'm unsure whose bottle of booze is currently on the island, but I hope to get an update on that shortly. Okay. That'll be nice to know who 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 is the last one to leave a bottle of whiskey. Or as I recently learned, a phrase that American cowboys used for whiskey was scamper sauce. <laughs> I love that. From now on, I'm calling my bourbon scamper sauce. Scamper sauce. Scamper sauce. Skittle boop juice. <laughs> Pop skull. Oh, be joyful. Nope, scamper sauce. That's the best one. Another cowboy slang term this time for money was Lincoln skins. Lincoln skins. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. It seems harder than saying penny. <laughs> I think this would have been for paper money. Oh. Yeah. Seems harder than saying a dollar. <laughs> Lincoln skins. I do appreciate the brain power that went into it, uh, but I do not understand how 
it would become a widely used thing. It was. Because, you know. Widely used. Like Kevin from The Office says, if can make sentence shorter. (laughs) Oh, Kevin, I miss Kevin. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I have for you today. Hans Island. Well, that's that's really fascinating. Also, next episode, we will announce the uh, the organization that gets the money from our Patreon account. Every, Not all of it. No, 10%. Every month we give 10% away, and the Order of Freaks at Patreon are the ones who vote who gets the money. So if you haven't yet signed up and voted, please do so uh, as it's convenient for you. But soon. And we really do appreciate the support. It's helping us grow the show, helping us book our hopefully fall tour. And 10% of anything that you put in that account goes to a different charity every single month. And you get to choose or at least play a part in that. Thanks for being here, you guys. We really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, beautiful freak. And you are beautiful. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.